I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Happy Sabbath to you. Glad you are here in worship with us today. Thank you so much to our praise team for the baptism. That was fantastic. As we continue today in our sermon series 10, today the title Delight, we, as you remember, if you've been with us, are looking at the Ten Commandments through the eyes, through the words of Jesus. As we find our way, we are coming down toward the end. We're going to have one more week, a bit of a surprise week next week in the 10 series. But this one, the 10th commandment, King James language, these four words simply, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. So we're going to explore what Jesus would say to us today about this, the 10th commandment, delight. Would you bow your head with me in prayer as we begin? Our Father, thank you so much for your love, for the blessing of your presence for this day. We thank you for commitment made to you, for song lifted to you, and we ask that you would receive our worship. And as we turn to your word, that you would speak into our lives, please. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. And amen. As you recall, these, the Ten Commandments begin in the voice, Exodus chapter 20, in the voice of Jesus Christ himself, who would be the one to say when asked and told to give a little bit of your you know, credentials here, Jesus, because we are of the, the line of Abraham, Jesus would say, before Abraham was, I am. And it would be a callback to the beginning of Exodus 20, where the speaker of these Ten Commandments would say, I am the one who brought you out of, freed you from slavery. So in the context of this freedom, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments speak of how we are to live free. How we live free. There's a shift that is subtly taking place, and it's kind of a a forward look to how we would find Jesus in the New Testament, because We've regularly gone to some wording like what we find in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say, those are the words of Jesus, right? He could just as easily have said, you've heard me say in Exodus 20, thou shalt not kill. But I say, don't hate. There's an interesting shift that takes place here in the Ten Commandments. As we read through the first nine, primarily what we find are the kinds of things that someone else could keep score on for you, right? They could watch your life carefully enough if they were paying all that kind of attention and they could know whether you're taking the Lord's name in vain. They could see if you are in some way honoring the Sabbath or maybe even your parents. They certainly would be able, maybe you have felt good, you can check the box, I did not kill anyone today yet. Check. And of course, we've been looking at the notion that Jesus comes into those Ten Commandments and speaks today into them, reminding us that there's something deeper. But even embedded right there in the Ten Commandments, while we find these commandments often in an outer action is what we can see 
we get to the 10th, and the 10th commandment has to do with our inner world, doesn't it? Just the same way Jesus would talk about hate, he would talk in the 10 commandments about the idea of coveting, because he can't tell. A person who is coveting may look absolutely the same to you on the outside as if they are not coveting. This all happens somewhere inside of us, and this is indeed the place of freedom, as we'll take a look today. I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. <coughs> as you find your way there, I'll give you a tiny bit of the background as Jesus has been making his way through the world in which we live in the day in which he came. By the time you get to Matthew 19, <coughs> he has conducted many miracles. People are swarming around him. He is thought of as, a, as an incredible teacher, someone whose voice you've never heard anything like it before. And so people are coming to be around him. And in this moment that we're going to get to, he's surrounded by, he's surrounded by people who don't, from the disciples' perspective, don't measure up. Given how his time now has to be spent, this is a bit of a waste of time because moms are coming with their children and swarming around Jesus. They're packed around Jesus, looking for a little bit of time with Jesus. And by the way, don't you love that the Jesus we find in the New Testament always has time for you? Doesn't matter what your station is in life, he has time for you. The lowly, the leper, the disconsolate, the foreigner, it doesn't matter. Jesus makes time. And here we have these children who are being brought to Jesus for a blessing. I also think it's a fascinatingly wonderful thing to consider that the God of the universe is the kind of person that children would want to be around. That says something. Have you noticed the kind of people children like spending time with? They are, they're, they're not people who take life quite so seriously as some of the rest of us. They're willing to laugh. They're willing to play. They're willing to color. They, they don't argue about whether trees can be purple. And this same Jesus will say, if you don't have the heart of a child, then you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. As if to say... If you don't have the heart of a child, then you probably don't have a heart like mine. So we find this interaction, other places spoken of just a slightly different way. But in the 19th chapter of Matthew, verse 14, Jesus says, don't stop them. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And this is a mind-blowing argument, kind of crushing moment for these disciples, for others around, because children, they weren't even real, regular, full-on human beings in the culture of the day. Enter the character we're going to kind of think about for a second. Amidst a Jesus who would welcome those who seem beneath him, that that's what he is about, and he would say you need to be more like that, imply you need to be a little more like me, accepting and ready and willing and making your time available and enter a character, unlike the children, this particular person, everybody would recognize in the moment, this is someone who commands a room. This is someone who's a little different. This is a special figure. This one here, this man, 
ought to be made time for. No matter what you're doing, you should clear the schedule for this guy. The 16th verse, now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And you know what? We'll name this guy out of the stories in the New Testament. What's his name? It's not Roger. It's not even a big, good biblical name like Thomas or John or James. No, we'll call him the rich young ruler. Three great adjectives. Rich, young, and duh, ruler. I don't know when you've entered a room and people looked at you the way he's looked at in our mind's eye as he enters, though we have a little tinge of sadness and, and, and criticism by the time we're done with the story. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And honestly, the rich young ruler is really a peek into moments that we experience. Am I, am I wrong about this? Every single one of us who have walked through these doors today at some point or another, maybe you didn't think about it today, but this question is a part of the fabric of who we are. Seriously, I mean, what, what do I have to do? I mean, will, will I be safe and saved? What must I do? He's giving us a little hint of our own experience as he asks this of Jesus. Teacher, tell me, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus replies, well, if you want to enter into life, full life, I think it's interesting, that translation. If you really want to live, obey the commandments. In a world that suggests that God is, um, and theology, religion, the Ten Commandments, they're an entrapment into a smaller way of life. Jesus would say, if you really want to live, well, obey the, ten, obey the commandments. There's a kind of an odd response. Well, which ones, the man inquired. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know if you think about that, but it's just like he's saying, okay, so that, could we at least, for a moment here, Let's go over some of the commandments that we don't need to worry about. If you don't, if you, we could just, a couple of those. I'd like to, and can I submit? What about this one? Do we really, which, which ones, Jesus? How about we just talk about the ones that we really, really need to worry about? And so Jesus goes down through a list. Well, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false witness, testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And some, so those of us who have been going through this all together, we know he starts with what? The sixth commandment thing. He goes six, seven, eight, nine, jumps back to five. He's going through this whole second half of the Decalogue. We'll take a, a little bit of a bonus look next week. Well, which is the greatest of these commandments? And Jesus will sum the commandments up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And here, your neighbor as yourself, that second half, the second six. But he leaves one out, doesn't he? Our commandment of the day. He skipped, don't covet. Interesting, isn't it? Well, the rich young ruler, he's listening to this uh, litany of things and he's going, check. Don't, don't, mur- did not, did not commit, let's just all be clear, did not commit adultery didn't steal, don't, don't, I'm not giving false witness, honoring my father and my mother, you can ask them. Well, all of these, the young man said, I have kept. And I don't know if he just wants Jesus to say it or if he knows down deep, I'm missing something. He says, so tell me what I haven't kept then. 
And Jesus says these words. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Well, this feels a little out of the blue. And some of us, I don't know if you're like me, but when I think about somebody who's rich, I'm always thinking about somebody else. <clears throat> don't know if this guy would have actually characterized himself. Yeah, me, young, younger than many, okay, yeah. Ruler, I guess I've got some stuff I'm over. Rich, come on, I'm, 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 I'm middle, maybe a little upper, low, upper, upper, upper middle, middle-ish. suggest to you the fact that you're sitting here today in the country in which we live dressed the way you are you've found your way into a collection of the rich as have I oh probably somebody else and Jesus says I've got it you want to know here go and sell everything and follow me. And this gentleman's response will be to go away sad. And sorrow will fill Jesus' heart also. And scholars wonder if in that moment Jesus didn't finish reciting the Ten Commandments. We'll wonder if Jesus hasn't just said from an opposite, spinning the 10th commandment around, from an opposite angle, don't covet. Don't, don't get so lost in your desire for things that you start seeing your neighbor as the thing that is keeping you from your thing. Seeing people as a way to get stuff. Jesus will tell it in a variety of parables. People are not for getting stuff. Stuff is for loving people. And if you get that twisted, you will covet what you don't have, no matter how much you do have. And you'll lock on and lock in and you will not be willing to let go of even if I were to come in the flesh and stand before you and say, I tell you what, I'm about to head out and I want you to come with me. Just one thing, you gotta, you gotta let go and grab onto me. Duh. Remember a childhood story about a monkey who escaped the, the zoo. And I, Feels like a fictitious storytelling, but this particular monkey, the way they trapped him, is on one side of the bars, inside the cage. They held out and put an apple in the right spot, and the monkey grabs the apple, and he can only get kind of a lick of the apple, and he won't let go of the apple. He's outside the cage, but the thing has caged him. And Jesus is saying, look, don't forget, I am the one who sets you free. And so I want to teach you how to be free. You want to know how to be free? Don't covet. You've heard it said, don't covet. I want to suggest to you, be ready to give it away. Huh. 
And the young man hears all of this, and he is sad. You've heard it said, thou shalt not covet, but I say. I think this is one of the things he would say. As evidenced by the 19th chapter of Matthew, but I say, share. Always understand good things. They are a gift from the Father above, and they are for loving one another. And the moment you flip that around and people are your way to love your things, we've got it all swapped around. But I want to suggest to you that God, maybe Jesus would say, That's, that is a part of my message today, but I'd like to go, I'd like to go a layer deeper. We were at covetousness. We got to sharing and, and taking our mind away from our things a little bit, but I'd like to take you even a step deeper if you have the courage to go all the way to delight. What are you talking about? Follow me to Philippians chapter four. The book of Philippians, written somewhere around 62 AD, Paul is imprisoned, whether it's in Caesarea or in Rome, he's likely awaiting what will eventually be his own death a couple years from then. And he's writing to a group of people who he's been involved in the growth of their faith and their church, and he's writing to them. And in this chapter, a couple of the most Famous Pauline verses, verses Paul would have written. One of them, I I promise you, you've seen this verse somewhere. Very encouraging, very motivating. If Philippians chapter four, verse 13, possibly, possibly in a weight room somewhere, yeah? Apologies that it says the 12th verse, this is the 13th verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, right? I can, if I'm with Jesus, I can do all things. But we might have, by stripping it out of its context, by removing it from the rest that Paul has written here, you might be missing, I could miss out on what Paul's true meaning here is in terms of the strength God is ready to unleash on my behalf. And I'd like to walk our way into it. Paul, in the 10th verse, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed. You know, as moments of giving thanks go, this is a a little problematic, right? Curcio, thank you that you finally did something. Right? right? It's like, hey, Paul, uh, lighten up here. Yeah, I know, you didn't have a chance before, but I just thought I would throw it in. Finally, you went ahead and did something. I rejoice greatly that at last you'd renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance I think it's a a fascinating and important phrase and maybe it speaks into my life and yours today. There could be something you didn't know you came here to learn. Is it possible there's a point in Paul's life where he doesn't know how to be content? 
Is it possible that even for you and for me, followers of Jesus Christ, we may need to learn how to be contented? Have you noticed that in, in even our most lighthearted conversations, we tend to brag about discontent? How you doing? Oh man, whew. This is quite the week, let me tell you. Let me tell you about my week. Oh, you go on, because I can tell you how mine's even worse. It's kind of the joke about when you're getting a little older and you ask somebody how they're doing and they share with you, oh boy, my rheumatism. It's a, uh, I'm having, I could feel it in this. Oh, you could feel it in that hip, can you? Well, at least you've got your original hips. I've got replaced two, four hips. I don't even know where some of them are. We nearly make an Olympic sport our discontent. My discontent can be with me, can be with you, can be with us, can be with people I don't even know, and when I talk about them, I don't even have a visual in my head. We can be very discontented creatures. And Paul says, ah, Over time, God has taught me a few things, and one of the things he has taught me is God has taught me contentment. I've learned how to be contented. Is Paul a good enough spokesperson for this situation? You may be thinking to yourself, no, Paul, you don't know anything about how it is to be me, Paul. You and your shipwrecks and beatings and thrown, yeah, prison, blah, 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 blah. I'm not ready for my test this week. You know nothing of my world, Paul. You don't experience what I do when I go to the closet and try to make that choice. Paul, we've got real troubles, right? And Paul steps in and steps up and he says, no, 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 I have learned about contentment. It is a skill maybe, a gifting maybe that you could lay claim to For I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I know what it is to be called out by the people to fill the position. I know what it is to be demoted. I know what it is to be accepted and welcomed and people pick up the check. I know what it is for everyone to flee except those holding rocks. I know what it is to have what I need and to not have what I know. I know what it is to have slow Wi-Fi. But I've learned I've learned a secret. The secret of contentment. Are you ready? It is that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And you might have just read that, that when I don't have food, God will just make food appear. You might be thinking, Paul is saying, when I am in prison shackles, 
boom, they're gone. No, that's a minor miracle. He's talking about a much bigger miracle. Here's the miracle. I can be in chains and be free. I can have nothing and have everything. I can be dead and yet will live. I've learned a secret. And you may have a God who's so small all they're about is pumping iron or getting you a job or her saying yes. (laughs) No, 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 no. I have a God who is so big, Paul would say, so big that he has been able to do something in me so that if she said no, I would still be content. Even when everything seems lost. Have you, have you never felt it? Have you been at a funeral for somebody you love and felt it? Invading all the grief is the sense of contentment in a God who says he is the resurrection and the life and has given his everything for you. Have you felt it? Because that's the something Paul's talking about here that can change it all. That's the something that caused the disciples to say, hey look, what, so, so seriously, your thing is you're gonna kill me? Because <laughs> see, I've been walking around with a guy you did that to a few months ago. And when he came back to life, yeah, you heard me, he came back to life, he told me, reminded me he has said all along he is the resurrection and the life and that he's given himself for me. So you're going to take my life so that I get to experience the miracle of being raised back up? Ooh. Oh, Paul says, I have learned a secret. And in this secret, the things that happen out here I have learned where freedom actually exists. And isn't it fascinating that it will be the one in chains who will teach the church to be free? I've uh, had the privilege of leading about 15-ish youth mission trips, high school students primarily, And over the years, my experience, I started to notice something. There was, like clockwork, the same cycle of events and comments and feedback. I started to be able to, I'd be able to kind of tell time on the trip by what was happening in this way. It would start because I was in the north primarily doing this in, in March, and we'd load onto a bus often in the wee hours of the morning. Everybody would haul their luggage on, and you'd just see it in their faces the excitement as we're driving away from school and we're going somewhere warm. And it's, I mean, in the airport and landing on the ground, you come out of an airplane and it's just, it's warm and it smells different and it looks different and it's an adventure. And like clockwork, just a sense of adventure, you'd see it in their eyes. Over the course of a couple days, because we just dive right into some super hard, sweaty work for people who need it. And that bright-eyed sense of adventure would be replaced by the steady glow of a sense that we're doing something that matters. We're making a difference right here 
two, three days later, because they've now learned the name of that little girl who stops by the worksite every morning. They've received a soda from that, that man who you get a sense, he scraped together some coins to buy it for me. Like clockwork. Certainly no later than day five, students start coming to me going, okay, so Pastor Dave, this is really cute what you've gone and done here, but we are not doing nearly enough. When we get home, we are going to have a shoe drive and we are going to canvas the neighborhood. I don't care if we have to burn some houses down. We are bringing more. We are not doing enough. Give it two days. And then this happens. You know, a lot of these people who are in deep need seem a lot happier than I am. And that's not coming from shoes. What is it that's happening? I've only been thinking about what I have that I should be giving to them. I think they've got something I need from them. And Paul would say it. In the world in which we live, there will never, ever, 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 ever be a day that you cannot figure out a reason for discontentment. It's always going to be something. There will always be somebody to compare yourself to, something to covet that you can't have and may never have. There will always be a failing that comes looming up in your internal voice. Every day of every year, there will be a reason for you to be discontented. And Paul would say, on the other hand, every day of every year, every moment, as you sit here right now, I can tell you reasons for contentment. And you get to choose. And if you are struggling in the midst of a life of discontent, maybe of covetousness, I just went and clipped, just copied and pasted two slides from the slide deck from last week because they are the exact same application for us. If you need to recover from this, there is one simple single plan that Paul would write about in the 13th verse of Philippians chapter four. I can do all things, how? How can I recover from this death of slavery and covetousness and never having enough and always wanting something more, and then half the time even getting it, and I can't even remember that I had wanted it because I now want something else. Our one hope for freedom is Jesus. That's it. You will never have enough stuff to take the place of Jesus. You will never have enough other relationships to take the place of Jesus. And Jesus says, I have come to fill you from the inside out that no matter what is happening on the outside, you might have delight. 
I just want to invite you into this place because it's impenetrable. It's yours for the taking. Most of you would probably know this particular individual, not necessarily by photo, but by name, Viktor Frankl. I'll share with those who don't. Viktor Frankl grew up in the first half of the 20th century. <coughs> That's the 1900s, for those not sure. A psychologist fought back a lot of Freudian thinking, actually said that in the papers that he wrote, the pinnacle, primal issue for all of humanity, the thing that motivates us is meaning. Meaning. Not money. Not the, the id or something having to do with your mother. The thing that motivates and drives you more than anything else is meaning. Well, this particular individual, Austrian descent, um, Jewish, he and his family end up 1942 in prison camps, concentration camps. He's in four different ones in a three-year span between 42 and 45. First, his father, he will watch die of starvation in front of his eyes. Another concentration camp, he will say goodbye to his mother and his brother who are walked to a gas chamber they don't come back from. Yet another concentration camp, his wife will die of typhus. He comes out of that grappling with all that has gone on. One of the things he would describe is watching commanding soldiers whose lives were miserable, stand next to prisoners going to their death filled with joy and trying to figure out what is it that this means. And in a nine-day stretch, he wrote a book, which is one of the best-selling books, Man's Search for Meaning. I recommend it to you. A couple of quotes from this book. One, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Between being loaded onto cattle cars and being bitter, being hopeless, being angry, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in this space is our power to choose. In this space is a thing Paul would write about that you could learn to capture. And in our response lies our growth and lies true, real freedom. Freedom isn't outside the concentration camp. Freedom is inside your response interval, inside your heart, inside your choice, even inside the concentration camp. He'd say it this way, everything can be taken from man but one thing, the last of human freedoms. This is somebody you probably don't want to have to debate against given what he went through versus what I go through. The last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. That's what it means to be truly free. 
That something that Jesus can give that no person could take away, no one could crush. You have to give it away. But you, right now, can claim it. Oh, you've heard it said, don't covet, but I say delight. Choose contentment. It'll change even your willingness to share, by the way. So as we revisit and find our way through to the end here, you remember that Matthew 19 interaction with the rich young ruler. Afterwards, there'll be a conversation with Jesus' disciples, between Jesus and his disciples, because they've watched this now. They watch these children come, Jesus accepts them, says you gotta be more like them. A rich guy comes, a ruler, a young man, bright, who's keeping every commandment from the outside, but there's something going on on the inside, and they're going, I don't know how this can work. Tell us more about what this is about. And Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter in the kingdom. He's talking about you and me. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus, maybe this is where Paul got it. Jesus says, you know what? This is impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. Now, yeah, Paul, you can do all things. Eye of the needle threading kinds of things, things that no one can understand how it is that you could have this attitude, you could have this response to the stimulus that occurred. And it doesn't make the things that happen to you right and okay But if you come from an abusive background, you deserve to be set free from the power somebody else exerted over you. If you've learned self-centricity and concentration on the things you accumulate, you deserve to be set free from what a tornado can take like that. You deserve to have something more, deeper, so that the psalmist would write it this way, you deserve to delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Kind of Viktor Frankl kind of stuff. No one can take it from you. So, today, delight. You've heard it said, Thou shalt not covet. Oh, way better. Come a little more. Let's go a little, let's go a little deeper. A, a little deeper yet. Live with an inner world where the one who is knocking right now comes in and changes everything. And you now get to trust his timing. There could be pain in the mean. This is the Paul that would say, I know what it is to go through pain and go through great feeling days. I know what it is to have need and to have plenty. And I've learned a secret. If Jesus, if Jesus is in your life on the inside, not the, the outside, not the, not the tie and suit and Bible carrying part, as good as that is, on the inside where delight is experienced. Delight's not experienced on the outside. You can see somebody delight sometimes, but you may not know for sure where you find delight is on the inside. 
where you today deserve to be set free. Lord God, sing with us now. We delight in you. Thank you for the blessing, for teaching us contentment. In your name we praise. Amen.